Well, good morning again. And it's definitely an honor to be here anytime I get an opportunity to, to be up here and to open God's Word uh, with you guys is just an honor and a, and, a, and a privilege. And I appreciate Pastor Todd giving me the opportunity. Um, I will say this. I want to apologize for the last time I preached. It was on, if you all remember, it was on um, marriage. I may have gone a wee tad long. You know, there's some indicators up here in the time on color. It changes color based on where we are in the service. And when it gets red, you're over time. Mine was like double bold, super big red. And so <laughs> Tony was back there waving flags at me and stuff. No, I'm kidding. But so today, <laughs> we're going to have two points. So that's good. We're going we're gonna to get through them. Well, yeah, no, we're not going to get through them quickly. But there'll be two points and then some sub points along with that. So just kind of setting the stage for what we're going to do. Um, you know, but as I was thinking about, and I think Pastor Todd talked about this last week, I mean, we've had a really a great, I'll just say fellowship time. It's just a sweet time as a church coming together. If you look back several weeks, we were able to decide on a pastor. Uh, pastor Brett talked about that, right? We decided on Caleb and his wife, um, Casey, and they're coming, their family. So that's just a great thing for us to be able to do. And it times well with Pastor Todd and him going into the mission field. That's definitely God moving, right? Then we've had, had the opportunity to celebrate Easter and that's always just a sweet time. You know, as, as I was here and I saw a lot of families coming together and just able to worship the Lord on Easter, I think that's just a really neat time as well. Not only that, but we've had salvations. We've had two salvations, actually three, because last week we had a, a young lady come to know the Lord as well, profess her faith in Jesus as well. So that's been great. We've had baptisms. Um, we have had really generosity on display through the bake auction. You know, I know Pastor Brett mentioned that we had, I think we raised over $3,500 to be able to send the kids to, some of the kids to youth camp. And man, that's just uh, such an awesome thing to see how you guys open your hearts and, and open your wallets um, to help uh, foster just generosity in, in, in our midst. And then last week we had San, sun, our, our Sunday family time um, where the kids got to participate and they were up here doing a skit about the purple box over there, the red, the purple block, y'all remember that? Right, it's really red, I'm not colorblind. <laughs> right, and so that was, and that's where another young lady had come to know the Lord, so that's just, just a sweet, sweet time of us being able to be together. And so what I'm praying for today is we just continue that, that sweet time together as we open God's word and we're able just to see his truths and we get to see what an example looks like for, for how we should live our life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and we're going to jump right in. So Father, we just uh, come to you this morning and pray over the reading, the preaching, uh, Lord, and the understanding of God's Word. I pray that we come to you this morning with hearts open, um, Lord, with our minds ready to receive, and Father, I pray that we would all be changed because we've been in your presence today. So Father, we thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. Okay. So today, we're continuing our series in Philippians. Pastor Todd got through chapter 1. I'm picking up in chapter 2. We're going to look at the first 11 verses um, in chapter 2. So let's go ahead and just dive right in. And I'm going to read all the way through 11. And then as we go through a couple points, we'll, we'll come back and read those so that we can focus on those a little bit. Okay. Um, it says this, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Therefore... If there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, 
any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, being of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And then in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which, is also, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and become obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross." Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Okay, so the title of today's uh, sermon is, is simply this, Upside Down Living. Upside Down Living. And as our custom, you know, we have a takeaway biblical truth. So that is pretty simple today. And it really just says this. It says, the life of humility is contrary to every natural inclination we have. It calls us to die, or another way to say that, to lay aside our fleshly desire and adopt the attitude or mind of Christ so that God can exalt us in due time. Okay, um, as a little footnote, as I was studying through this passage, there was a lot of churchy words that were being used, and it's those words where kids ask you, hey, what does that mean? And you get, well, it, it means, um, and you kind of have a general idea of what it means, but sometimes it's nice to kind of just say it out what it means, so I'm going to do that occasionally, so for my own benefit, and hopefully it helps you guys as well. Um, and so, as I mentioned, Pastor Todd had, had preached through uh, Philippians 1, so I want to give a small recap on that. Um, if, if we look back at this, again, 30,000-foot level, the first part of Philippians, Paul really has a word for the believers, the word for the church at Philippi. And then he kind of moves into um, really a recap of what's going on in his own life and the ministry that he's in, up to where he was actually writing this letter while he was in prison. And then last week, Pastor Todd took us through the last, oh, 15 or so verses, and, and, and we answered three questions, and those questions were this. It was, what's the purpose of my life? What happens after I die? And how should I live my life? And if you recall, Paul was um, sort of struggling with that, ver that very famous verse that, you know, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Paul's heart was to go and be with the Lord, as should all of us as believers. That should be our heart's desire, is to go be with him. But Paul knew that he had something more to do, that God had more for him to do here on earth and with the churches that he was starting and the ministry he was doing. And so, as we've gone through that, um, and when we start looking at chapter 2, Paul is going to continue his exhortations to the church at Philippi in the first four verses or so. And so let's stop with exhortation. That's one of those big churchy words. 
And really, all that means is emphatically urging someone to do something or strongly urging someone to do something. Make sense? Because I'm going to use it a couple times. I want us to get it. Um, And so that helps me as well. Um, In the last part of chapter 1, verses 27, he was looking at a couple points. He was exhorting them to do a few things. One of those was live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live a life worthy of the gospel. The second was be of one spirit. The third was striving together for the faith. And then the fourth was not being terrified of your enemies. And I think that was a pretty important one. You know, as Paul shared what was happening in his life, the persecutions that he had come against, and really even up until the point of being in prison, um, he was encouraging them, exhorting them, hey, don't be afraid. You know, the, the Lord has you. And so I think that was important for him to hear, for them to hear. And see, Paul had built a foundation for them on how to stand strong against external conflict. And, and so now in chapter 2, he kind of changes that a little bit, and he's going to teach them how to act against internal conflicts within the body of Christ. And so that's some of what we're going to look through. So the first point is, is really simply this, is Paul's desire. Paul's desire, and you could elaborate on that to say for the church at Philippi, but I would say I think this should be the desire of all churches as we look through these verses. Now, this first point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move quickly through that. At least in my mind, I say I'm going to do that. So that's the intent. We're going to move quickly through this, and, uh, and then we'll get to the second point where I want to spend a little more time. Okay, so let's go back and read that, uh, that verse for the first point here. Uh, I'm going to read verses, uh, verse number one first. It says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. And you see, Paul is introducing here the basis for his exhortation, and he's calling for unity, he's calling for humility and love among the believers. And see, the first part of verse 1, he says this, he says, if there is any consolation in Christ. Now, I want to take a step back and say, Paul's using a series of if statements, and really these are assumptive if statements. So the answer to the question is yes, and I'll even say amen. So he's asking these questions to kind of set them up, right? He's setting them up to get them to where he wants them to be. So these questions are assumptive. And so go back to the first one. It says, if there's any consolation in Christ. Well, of course there is consolation in Christ. Now, consolation is another one of those big words, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But to help describe what this really is, is we can look at Luke 2, 25, and it says this. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. You see, Simeon was waiting for this consolation of Israel. And you get that it's Jesus, right? Jesus is the consolation for Israel. He is the consolation of of Christ and in Christ. And and you see, this word used for consolation is kind of a neat word. It kind of has a sense of implying both comfort to the accused— That's us, right? Y'all get that. We're the accused, standing before a holy God. We're accused as sinners. 
And it also has the, the idea of an intercessor on the accused's behalf. So not only is he providing comfort for us as being accused, but he's also providing that intercessory before the Father. Man, what a powerful word that is. What a powerful thought for us to think about Jesus, our comfort, and our intercessor. Praise him. Now, y'all going to have to talk to me a little bit. I don't have some of my amen corner coming with me today, so I'm going to need to hear from you, or I'm going to have to amen myself or something. I don't know. There we go. Okay, I hear you now. Okay. The second point I want us to look at is if there is any comfort in love. And again, I would say, well, of course there is. But I want us to take a second and look at that word love. The word love used there is the word agape. Everybody knows agape, right? There's really three ty types of love in, in the Greek language. And agape is God's perfect love. God's perfect love. And it, it's a love that brings a comfort that's more than just a soothing kind of comfort. It's not like brotherly love. Um, and so it, it brings this soothing kind of love. It, it has this idea of strengthening, of helping and making strong. Now, let's just think about that for a minute. This is God's perfect love that he rains down on his people. And this love helps to encourage, to help. Anybody need help? I need help. <laughs> I need it every day. And to make strong. Now, that's just so powerful to me as we think about what that means. And think about this as, as God loves us, what does he call us to do? Love other people, right? And so we can't love like God does, but the idea is we're to strive for that. So what if, what if we were to love people in a way that helped make them strong, who helped them in a way that encouraged them? Do you think that love would be noticed? Do you think that love would look different than the love of this world? I certainly do. But do we love like that? Do we set aside these things? You know, God's love is unconditional love. Do we love like that? I'll just be honest. I'll just tell myself I don't. Not all the time. I try to. But boy, I get caught up in the flesh sometimes, and I don't love that unconditional love. I think it would be different, and we would look different if we did. And then the, the third thing we see here is, in his if statement, says, if there's any fellowship in the Spirit. Again, I would say, of course, there's fellowship in the Spirit. You see, this relates to an idea of sharing all things in common. It, the pagan meaning for this was the idea of those who are of like one village. And another way to say this was kind of interesting, the way they phrased this was, those who drink from the same fountain thought that was kind of interesting. That's <laughs> like, okay, well, if that's so for the pagan, so non-believers, how much more should the union of our fellowship be for those who are drinking from the Spirit of God, from those who are drinking from the well that never runs dry? How much sweeter, how much more um, perfect should our fellowship look to an outside world? I think it should look different, don't you? There we go. Gotcha. Okay, somebody's out there. All right. 
And then the last thing is, if there is any affection, and I don't know why I have to say this, but when, when I'm studying, probably like Pastor uh, Brad and Pastor Todd do, we look at a lot of different versions as we read and study. And one of the versions, depending on yours, it could say if there's any bowels and mercies. I thought that very odd. I was like, okay. So, <laughs> of course, then had to look at that. And really, all this is talking about, it's like the deepest part of where emotion and mercy comes from. It's the deepest level for man. Like that innermost, hey, especially for guys, we don't like to talk about it. It's way down in there somewhere. And it's saying, if there's any affection, any mercy in Christ, well, of course there is. Of course there is. Now, we've done with the if statement. So Paul's kind of laid the groundwork, right? And then he drops this little nugget on him. He says, okay, if that's true, on the basis of that, make my joy complete. Now, I started thinking about that. And I know I'm looking around uh, the room today, and I see a lot of people who have taught, who have discipled. And I guess this could even apply to parenthood, perhaps. It's this idea of taking somebody who is a new believer and then helping them walk this journey of life, right? Salvation comes, and then it's helping them walk through that, that big churchy word we use of sanctification. And all that means is we're working out our salvation. We're striving more to be more like Jesus. And as we see that, as someone who has taught young believers, and then I get to see them move to where they're no longer, as the Bible describes, drinking spiritual milk, but they start maybe eating a little crackers, and all of a sudden they're making themselves a ham sandwich, and then all of a sudden they got a big old T-bone. In the name of man, you see them walk. There's no greater joy in that to see somebody that you've poured into and invested into, to see them walk their life of Christ. Man, that's just, a, and that's what Paul's saying is here. He's saying, man, make my joy complete. Continue on in what God has for you. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> okay. Woo. Glory to Jesus. All right. So on that, <laughs> fulfill my joy. Now I'm going to look at um, verses 2 through 4 real quick. Because Paul is going to tell them now, based on the if statements, he's told them what he wants them to do, now he's going to tell them how to do it. I always like it when people do that. You know, sometimes at work they'll tell you, hey, yeah, go do this. And they're like, I don't know how to do that. And nobody told me, so now i got to go make it up. No, no, no. Paul's telling them how to do it. So let's look at verses 2 through 4. It says this. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. You see, Paul's just telling them quickly, this is how you can fulfill my joy, is to have the same love, be of one accord, and that's kind of a weird way to say something, and all that really means is to be intent on one purpose. So go back and say it, right? The same love, being intent on one purpose, and then being of one mind. 
Now, anytime you get more than about three or four people together, that's a chore. That's a chore to get everybody to be of one mind, of one accord, of one love. But that's what God calls us to do. And how do we do that? You see, the focus on all of this, the if statements, the focus on what Paul is telling them how to do, the focus on this is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God enables us. That's how we do what Paul is asking them to do. That's how we live a life that honors God, is through the Spirit of God. You got me? Okay, got another one. All right, this kind of speaks to, this, this, these things Paul's calling for speaks to the idea of one mind, one purpose, one direction, of being, I love this, <laughs> I love this. The word, the word love, again, is agape love. So it's, think of it this way, it's being equally open to receiving the perfect. Remember we talked about what that meant, the strengthening, the helping love of God, and also being open to giving that same love. How many of us like to receive? Well, I like to receive. I like to receive. My wife's a gifts person. She likes to receive gifts. She loves to give gifts, but she also likes to receive. Boy, I love to receive. It's good stuff. I fall down sometimes on the giving, but, you know, work in progress. Work in progress. <laughs> All right. But, man, how much more that love of God. Boy, that's good stuff to me. And then United Souls. I'm going to talk about that in just a second with an analogy. Uh, uh, kind of hopefully tie some of that together. Verse uh, 3 through 4 now describes how Paul, um, it, it, how they're to achieve unity that Paul describes. So he's calling for low-mindedness, low-mindedness. And here's what he's calling for. He's calling for no selfish ambition. Now, not all ambition is bad, right? It's okay to have ambition at work and to want to, to improve yourself, it's okay to have ambition and goals in life. It's, a, it's okay to have goals and ambition in your marriage and in your home. Even in church, it's good to have ambition. But here's what we need to be careful of, is selfish ambition. So anytime that ambition takes the place of where God should be or sets aside the things that God would have us to do, then there's a problem. And we need to guard ourselves as that. And really, if we think about that, you know, we can categorize a lot of things in our life as what we call idols. So it's really anything we put in place of where God should be, in the order that God should be in, in relation to where we live and how we sit. That's an idol. Okay, um, the next one is conceit. Um, <laughs> I'm going to tell myself for a minute, but this really is just thinking too highly of yourself. Now, maybe when I was a little younger, I was told I might have had a wee problem with that. I don't know. Um, I was a little cocky, arrogant dude for a while there. Luckily, I had some friends that were more than happy to let me know that was not the case, that I was not all that in a bag of chips. And so that was good, humbling experience. Um, so we need to be careful with conceit. We need to view ourselves how God sees us, right? We're sinners. That's what we are. We're sinners. And so we need to make sure that we see um, that. Now, the good thing is, so let me make sure we don't stop there. But as believers, we're also children of God. Okay? All right. And then the last thing it talks about here is esteem. It says, esteem others. But I don't know why that word jumped out to me as I was studying. I just, it's a cool word to me. 
esteem. And I'm like, well, now i got to figure out what it means, right, <laughs> other than what I think it means. And it, it, it means this. It's to regard as honorable or valuable. Doesn't that change how you think about that word? Because it says, it says esteem others better than yourself. What if we esteemed others in a way to where we honored them and where we valued them so that they realized the value we put on them over ourselves? What if we were a church who did that? What if when we walked out those doors and we interacted with the lost world that they would see that we esteem them in a way? What if we did that in our church? What if we esteemed others above ourselves? Do you think we would look different? I think we would. I think we do a really good job at a lot of these things. I think we do a really good, man, we are a church that loves. I tell you what, that's, that's what I, can I say, can, this is what I love about the church that we love, right? <laughs> but that is just one of the things we're generous, we love, I don't see a lot of conceit. We esteem others better. Man, we do a lot of those good things. And then finally, Paul, what I, this is kind of the Lynn version of what Paul is saying about bringing, uh, thinking about the interest of others. This is what I call the bring along theory or the bring along method is quit focusing so much on your own interest. Bring along somebody else and help them with their interest. And maybe they can benefit from the interest that you have. Maybe you can bring them along and, and also encourage them and bless them in a way that God has enabled you to do that. Okay, so we got through. told you point one was going to move kind of quick. Um, so as we think about this transition, as we think about the if statements, the assumptive if statements, Paul's laid for us any consolation, any comfort, any fellowship, if we think about those, and Paul says, make my joy complete by doing those things. And then if we have unity, if we're in one accord, one mind, no conceit, man, that sets the stage for Paul to have his joy complete. Just like it would anybody who was taught. Just like it would as, as a parent as you watch your children go and they learn something and you go, yeah, I taught them that. Right? I taught them that. And, you know, you're arguing back and forth. But anyway... The point being that Paul has set that stage. Paul has set that stage. Now, a lot of times, as we move into this next point, and the point, uh, I'll, I'll give that first, but I want to give a little intro to that. Um, Paul is, is, a lot of times in Scripture, he will say something like, follow me as I follow Christ. Now, in and of itself, that, that's just a bold statement. I'm not sure I'm at a place to where I would always want to say that, where I'd have somebody watching me 24-7 to say, follow me as I follow Christ because I'm the perfect follower of Jesus. No, man, I mess up every single day. Every single day. But Paul does that a lot of times. But this time, he doesn't do that. He calls out the big gun. He says, uh, don't follow me. I, I need you to look at Jesus and the example that Jesus set. And so the second point is this, is imitate or ditto the humbled and exalted Christ. Now the word ditto, it seems kind of weird probably for y'all, but it has special meaning for me. When Tony and I were 
dating way back many years ago. Um, things were getting serious, and you know, you get to that point where, okay, if someone says I love you, and that's always uncomfortable, and you know, because that's a big that's a big word when you're dating. And so I remember, this is the way I remember it. She may have another version, so y'all can check with her later. She'll let me know, I'm sure. But the way I remember it was she told me she loved me first. And I wasn't really, now I, I loved her, but I wasn't comfortable verbalizing that because that was a big thing. So I, said, I started out with ditto. And she would look at me like, huh? <laughs> so um, we worked through that, obviously. We're, we're here now. We worked through that. But I would say ditto for a, for a while. And what I meant by that, and that's why I used this word, because I think it's important to, to get. So not only are we going to imitate. So imitate to me is I'm watching somebody and I'm going through the motions. I'm just someone stands up, I stand up. You know when your kids mock you like that or imitate you when you're doing something, you're scratching your head, your kid's scratching the head, and you're like, would you stop? You know, that's to me that's imitating. Ditto has a deeper meaning than that. It, it really means um, having qualities in common. So not only am I Mocking, I'm doing the same things, I'm touching, you know, all this kind of stuff, I'm moving around, um, I'm acting like, but not only that, but I have the qualities, the inner qualities that are driving that imitation. So that's why that was important for me to get this. I want us to understand that it's not about just going through the motions. It's not about, so things like coming to church, that's fantastic. We need to be in church. But it's about living in the spirit of God through the power of God. Those are the qualities that we should have in common. Does that make sense? Okay, good. Now, I have subpoints under this point, so this is where it gets a little fun. And there's three subpoints. I'm going to tell you what they are, then we're going to talk about them. It's give up, give in, give out. Pretty simple. The good news is we do two of those, and then God does the other one. So give up, give in, give out. So the first one, give up. Verse number five, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Hmm, give up. What I'm trying to help us understand here and what, what Paul was trying to describe is that as believers, as Christians, we, we must imitate the mind of Christ, the attitude of of Christ. We have to give up our fleshly desire, our fleshly mind, our fleshly uh, direction and purpose that we have sometimes. We have to lay that aside and give up. Give up to a holy God, to the mind of Christ is what it's talking about here. We have to exchange the mind of the flesh for the mind of Christ. Romans 8, 7 and 8 says this, it says, the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You know, as I was studying that two word or one word and then a phrase really just jumped out at me. It says, the flesh is hostile to God. Y'all understand the meaning of what that is? What that is saying is when we're in the flesh, so either non-believer or believer who is in sin and living through the flesh, 
We're in hostility with God. Means another word is, which is kind of another big word, but enmity. Or we're at war with God. We're at odds with God. I don't think that's going to bode well for us, do you? Like that's the last person I want to be at odds with, is with a holy and righteous God. And yet we do. And yet we do. So I want us to catch that. And the other one was, in the flesh, it says the flesh cannot please God. So in that state of walking in the flesh, we cannot please God. Wow. That kind of, those two things just really hit me and said, all right, Lynn, boy, you need to get yourself right. You need to make sure that you're walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. This one, is, this one kind of hit me as well. It says, we must bear resemblance to his life. Like, think of the life of Christ, of humility, of servanthood, of sacrifice. We must bear resemblance to his life if we want to benefit from his death. We must bear resemblance. If we don't have the spirit of Christ, this is for non-believer, we're not his. We're not his. Romans 8, 9 says it this way. says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And here's that point. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not, does not belong to him. It doesn't matter what you want to call yourself. You can call yourself a Christian. You can say, I attend whatever church I attend. But you're not a believer you're not his unless the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God is within you. And that comes through a relationship with Jesus. That's just hard facts, hard stuff. Now, the second point, moving right on to that. So we've, we've seen how Paul wants us to give up based on the example of Christ. The second one is give in. And we're going to read uh, verses 6 through 8 for that. It says, who... Being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and, and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. In these verses, here we see two things. We see the two natures of Christ. We're going to see the divine nature, and then we're going to see the human nature. And so we're going to take on and take a look at the divine nature first. And the divine nature is really, the, he's the eternal and begotten son. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word we know is a reference to Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 I'm sorry, Colossians 1.15, that's the difference. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. You know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only begotten son. So he is divine in nature. He is divine in nature. You see, Jesus' divine nature gave way to human nature so that he could do the will of the Father so that we might have life. 
Now I want to take a quick look at the human nature side of this as we look through those verses. You see, he was made in the likeness of men. He voluntarily, get that, he voluntarily assumed human nature. He clothed himself with what I call the rags of human nature. He was in all things like us. Hebrews 2.17 says it this way. He says, it says, Therefore he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in the matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. You see, if he had not been the perfect sacrifice, he had not come and lived the perfect life through this human nature, laying aside his divine nature, then he would not have been the perfect Lamb of God. And so there would have been no Redeemer. There would have been no redemption. There would have been no hope for eternal life. We had no hope other than in Jesus. And the work that he did on the cross and the work that he did that was perfect in everything that he did. He humbled himself in obedience even unto death. Here's a point I want us to get. His obedience followed his humility. His obedience followed his humility. He humbled himself and then was obedient. How many times is God calling for us to be obedient but the first step in that is for us to come humbly before him. Again, sometimes God asks us to do some things, and we're like, yeah, I need to pray about that one. I'm not sure if that's the Lord speaking, right? But man, when we come in humbleness before the Lord, and he speaks, and he moves within our heart, then it's easy to see. It's easy to come in obedience to him. It's easy to come in obedience to him. You know, I was thinking about this as I was, as I was studying this. You know, it, it talks in verse 7, it talks about Jesus emptying himself. I think the version we read says he made himself of no reputation. And really, the connotation, depending on the, the version you read, is he emptied himself. Um, the one that I studied uh, showed that the Greek word or the Greek intent for that was laying aside. So he laid aside that divine nature and took on human nature. Fully God laid aside, and fully man lived out a perfect life. And so, as I was thinking about through that, you know, many times through Jesus' ministry, what does he do? He breaks away from the crowd. He even breaks away from his disciples to go spend time with the Father, to go spend time in prayer, to go spend time aligning himself again with with a holy father, because he and the father are one, right? Understanding his calling that he was there for. You remember, Jesus even said, hey, Lord, God, if this cup can pass from me, then let it. But not my will, but your will be done. So he felt the weight. He felt the, just the, the sin impact that we have in our life. You know, as I was thinking about this, Jesus actually felt that some of the things we felt with that's why he was faithful and merciful because he understood he was tempted he was hungry he was thirsty 
You know, I, I was talking to a pastor friend of mine, and I was kidding around. I said, yeah, he even had brothers and sisters and moms and dads and dealt with the whole relational stuff, you know. If you remember, Jesus' brothers didn't even believe in him. And so he had to deal with that. His family, part of his family just putting him aside and not believing in what he was there to do, what he was called to do. They saw him live that out. So it's just interesting I see that. You see, our flesh, our flesh as as believers, we've got we've to yield that to the connection and the leading of the Spirit of God. I was looking at social media, and not that I do that a ton, but I saw this pastor, and he described it in a way that made sense to me. So I'm going to try my best to give the same example, um, and hopefully it, it connects. So he had this idea of there was three people standing here with him, and he had, this is the fleshly man here. And then he said, this is the soul of man. This is the very being of who we are. And then this is the spirit of man. And so the three, right? And he was saying, the way this kind of works together is the spirit of God is connecting and speaking to the spirit of man. And so this, that, through that living out in the spirit of Christ now influences the very soul of who I am. It influences what I do, where I go, the intentions of my heart, the desire to, to be in his word, the desire to pray that drives everything about who I am. But the problem is we also have this man of flesh, like the natural man. And boy, that's a strong, strong thing in my life. And, and so we've got Satan, who's a lion seeking who he may devour. He doesn't come over here to the spirit of man because that's where Jesus is camped. That's where the spirit of God is camped out. Right? He's over here whispering in the flesh. He's talking to the fleshly man. He says, are you going to let that person cut you off? Are you crazy? Can you believe what they just said to you? You know, I'll give a golf example. Sometimes you're golfing and somebody behind you is trying to rush you a little bit. They hit a ball into you, which means they hit one that almost hits you. I get a little upset. Little fleshly man's over there. Dude, are you, what are you going to do? Are you going to turn around and hit it back at him? And I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to turn around and hit it back at him. And then the Spirit of God is like, no, Lenny, you don't want to do that. That's not what God called you to have, have, you know, be called to do, so we're not going to do that. And so I'm battling that. And you see, we've got to make sure that the Spirit of God that we're listening to and that we're seeking is a loud voice because Satan is loud. The flesh is just overwhelming sometimes in our life if we don't tame it with the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? that make sense? All right. Hopefully that helped. It helped me. If it didn't, just pretend it did, and we'll talk about it later. All right. <laughs> All right. So the last sub point we're talking about is give out. This is a good part, right? This is where God does his thing. So, so far we've, we give up, right? We give up to the mind of Christ. We give in as Christ did, and he set that example where he humbled himself, he emptied himself, he laid aside that divine nature, and now God's going to do what God does. He's going to give out. And so we see that in verses 9 through 11. We say, it says, Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I get a little excited about that. I had, you know, 
as I'm preparing, I'm, I don't know how Pastor Brett and Pastor Todd do it, but I actually preach the sermon up in my office a couple times as I go through it. And, and I found myself getting like crazy excited over this stuff. I was stomping my foot. I might even spit a little bit. I'm not sure. But I was getting excited over these verses, man, what this says. You see, when we give up, when we give in, God gives out. It says, God will exalt the humble. What did he do with Jesus? He says he exalted him. And the term used is exalted him to a highest place. But it's like the utmost, the highest you can go. There is no higher. Jesus is exalted to the highest level. And in the same way, but not at that level, he wants to exalt us, to lift us up as well. You see, Jesus' exaltation was the reward of his humiliation. He was highly exalted to an exceeding height. His exaltation was in the form of two things. It was in the form of honor and power. And so let's look at those real quick. Honor, as it says, he had the name above every name, a title of dignity and honor above all creatures on earth, above earth, in heaven, below earth. Basically, all means all, right? So anything, any living creature, he has glory and honor over, and he's set over. And then this is the part that I got a little excited about. <laughs> it says he has power. I, I want you all to understand when we go through this. So if this don't get you excited, you need to check your engine. It may not be running. Everybody hit the starter button or something. Let's get this thing churning a little bit. I want you to get excited about this. Because one day, in Christ's exalted power, every knee will bow to him. It says, every knee will bow, every tongue confess. Here's what I want you to get. It's not an option. It's not an option. When Jesus reveals himself and he comes again, it says, every knee. It's not like, okay, okay, well, yeah, let me get down here. No. He's going to drive you to your knees because of his power and of his honor and of his glory. Everybody, believers and non-believers, will be driven to their knees. Y'all get that, right? It's not an option. Every knee. Boy, this is one I like now. Y'all get excited. And it says every tongue is going to confess. You're not going to have a choice. Your tongue and your mouth are going to confess that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. Every tongue will confess. Man, I'm going to tell you what. Here's what we need to be doing. We need to start practicing. Right? We need to start practicing. It's okay to raise your hand and praise the Lord. That took me a while to get there, but it's okay. It's okay to bow your knee. And pray. My knees hurt, but I can still bow. I want to start practicing for the things I'm going to be doing when I'm in heaven. We're going to be praising the Lord. We need to practice and get ready for that. That makes sense? Okay, good. Kind of to back up what I was talking about with the exalting, because you think, oh, Lynn, I don't know that I've ever seen it say where God is going to exalt us. Well, in Hebrews, chapter, or I'm sorry, James chapter 4, yeah, we'll look at 6b and then jump to number 10. It says, God resists the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. And then in 10, it says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Another word for lift up is exalt. He will exalt us. He will lift us up in due time. In due time. God wants to exalt you. If you'll give up, and if you'll give in, and follow the example that Jesus gave. So I'm going to close now with an analogy, and so Spencer, praise team, whoever's doing that can kind of make their way back up. This is, <laughs> it's kind of a joke, inside joke with our family about analogies, um, <laughs> and who uses them and when, and who gets credit for them and all those kind of things, but so it's kind of a joke. I've been talking about this analogy um, amongst my family for a while, but I won't tell them what it's about because some people might steal it. <laughs> but anyway, um, this is one of those things where God woke me up in the middle of the night and laid this on my heart. Uh, it's probably been two, three months ago. And I don't know why. Um, and I didn't know where he wanted me to use it, but I felt like this is a good place to use it. So the analogy is of... Everybody like ice cream? I like ice cream. I like lots of ice cream. Okay. So the analogy is about an ice cream cone. And so um, think about the ice cream cone. So first you've got the cone, right? That's our life. That's us. We're the cone. And then you've got this big old scoop. Now, if you're like me, you get the little tiny cone, and then you get the scoop of ice cream about the size of Georgia. You know, you plot, right? So... We get this little old cone, which is our life, and then what we do as, as people is we start contemplating the gospel. We start thinking about Jesus. And we may even throw this tag on to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. It's amazing how many Christians you meet when you go and start talking about Jesus. Um, and so what we do is we take this big old scoop of ice cream or big old scoop of Christianity, and we drop it on our cone. And we go, boy, that looks good, <laughs> right? Feels good, looks good, take a big old lick, that tastes good even. The problem is, that's not the foundation for the way that God calls us to live. And so, as life gets messy, that Christianity stuff starts to melt away. And all of a sudden, all this ice cream's running down my hand, and there's not enough napkins in Jacksonville to keep myself clean because of the big old scoop of Christianity I've got on, on my cone right? Because life is tough. Life is hard. And things melt away, and life is messy. You see, the problem is, we've contemplated Christianity. Now, Christianity should be contemplated, but really, it's not about Christianity. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And so, we've got to receive Jesus. We've got to receive Him as a point of salvation and then sanctification where we're living out and working out our salvation in Him. And so what the, what the Bible calls us to do is to get Jesus as our base. And so what I've learned to do in my years of ice cream eating is to get a cup. And so I get me a cup and I take my cone with my messy, messy life and I stick it in the cup. And you see, that's upside down living. You see, that's taking who I am and using Jesus as my base. And so that now, even though life is messy 
and some things are going to melt away, guess what? Jesus is my cup. And now all of that is held within the cup. And it's not so messy. It's not so messy. I, I tend to have trouble learning sometimes. So what I want to do is take the cone back up. And then it gets messy again. And God's saying, no, 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 no. Live in me. Put yourself in my cup so that I can clean you up, so that I can sustain you. And man, I think as believers, if we would just get that, if we would continue to live in the cup of Jesus, boy, life would be so, so much better. And then it's really, it's a warning to those of you who maybe are, are living this life of Christianity where you've got your cone and you've, you're contemplating the gospel, but you've never received the cup of Jesus. Because eventually, the contemplation that you're doing is going to fade away because this world is tough and life is hard and people are just mean. And it's going to fade away and you're going to be left with your cone. And when you stand before the Father and you say, I've got my cone, he's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you because you're not in the cup of Jesus. You know, we've got decisions to make as believers. I, I think one of the things that really struck me as I was, I was thinking about this is if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm not asking you to give up anything. The old saying, I'm not asking, I'm not asking you to give up um, smoking, dipping, drinking, or women who do. All I'm asking you to do is to come and receive. You see, it's not my job. It's not your wife or your husband's or your friends or your neighbors. It's not their job to convict you of what's right and wrong in your life. That's the Holy Spirit of God. So you need to come receive Jesus and then allow him to work in you and say, let's set that aside. Let's move in this direction. Let's put that over here. We don't need that anymore. It's his job to clean you up. And then if you're here and you're a believer and you're thinking, boy, I don't know what kind of um, job I've been doing lately with my giving up and giving in. Maybe I've been more selfish. Maybe I've had more of my self-interest and, my, and my own conceit, even though we don't like to say that, but my own conceit. Maybe this is a time where I need to come to the altar and ask God to just move fresh in my life, to do something and to show me something different. Show me another way. Show me how to love like him. Allow God to pour his perfect agape love down on us. So the altar's open. And all I ask is you do what God calls you to do. If he's telling you to move, then I'm, I'm going to tell you to move. If he's telling you to go grab somebody's hand and bring them to the altar and pray uh, for them, over them, with them, then that's what I'm asking you to do. If you're a non-believer here today and some of this and you're thinking, boy, I don't understand what's going on in my heart, that's the Holy Spirit of God drawing you. The Bible says no one comes to the Father unless he draws them. So be obedient to that drawing. Let's close in prayer.